This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've I spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle please get in touch with us on our facebook page follow us like us whatever it takes we would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as i know this industry is capable of hey gordon how's it going it's going well doc i'm uh, looking forward to this discussion uh it's really an interesting topic uh, today. Uh, we're looking at the release of, a, of a, a, a new local movie. And, it, you know, the most important thing about this is it actually got me out the house, this podcast. Like I had to go and see the movie. So I'm really excited about uh, chatting uh, with Meg Records, the director, and Paul Egan, the producer. They, they collaborated on this film, which I, I think, and we'll chat to them in a moment, is their second collaboration. But, you know, I think, Doc, to a degree, I feel uniquely qualified to talk about this particular movie, which goes under the charming title of Carl Hutt Carl, um, because I think I shared with you, Doc, uh, back in the <laughs> I was playing rugby in Durban, um, you know, I think I could have staked a claim for a starring role, perhaps not as Carl Hutt Carl, but, but, but part of the backup cast. So uh, I have my own. About about uh, about this particular topic, which welcome Meg Records and Paul Egan talk to us about streaking and why do you decide to make a movie about a streaker in Africa? Or was that the predictable part? <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. It's great to be on your show, Doc and Guru. Thank you. Thank you. Shall I go first? Yeah, I mean, you go first. Okay. So, <laughs> where do we end up doing a film about a streaker? Well, I guess going back a little bit. So. We've done two films together and we're actually married. So um, um, it's quite interesting making movies as a married couple. Um, but we made a documentary called 1994, The Bloody Miracle. So feature length documentary showed on um, ENCA on the 20th anniversary of the first democratic election. So this was about 2014. And it was an amazing process, but um, you know, it took us to some very dark places. So you can imagine, um, we're looking at how the elections nearly didn't happen. And, you know, we're looking at, say, the, the resistors, people who are trying to upset the whole 
the whole balance. And that took us into interviewing uh, Eugene de Kock. Uh, in prison. In prison. Um, we interviewed everybody, F.W. Clerk, Zuma, um, you name it. And then we went on to another movie, which is called Tess. Um, it did very well on um, the festival circuit. Um, it showed on cinemas here and now it's on Showmax, I think. Uh, it's a story about a sex worker, all set in Musenberg, based on a book called Whiplash. We were going to call it Whiplash, but unfortunately, another film came out around the same time. So we had to change the title. Um, but that was a very hard hitting movie. You know, we, we worked with uh, Lars von Trier's editor. And um, if you've ever seen a Lars von Trier movie, you can see that, you know, it, it was very powerful and we got such great feedback from it. But um, go on a few years and I hear Meg talking about, um, you know, people watching tests and, well, you must have a glass of wine, um, trigger warnings, this and that. Um, and I was thinking, hold on, sometimes I don't always feel in the mood to, to watch a very heavy, hard hitting movie. And at the same time, I was thinking about doing a documentary on streakers. And why was I thinking about that? Well, I've been observing that, you know, when a, a streaker comes on to a, a, a usually a, a, it's, a, it's a sports pitch, um, a sports field, and, you know, they, they come and disrupt the whole thing. So, so people have paid good money. There's a lot of ritual around sports, but suddenly this crazy, it's usually a guy comes on. And, but what happens when that person comes on is that the crowd, rather than get angry and upset, they are cheering this, guy as he sidesteps all the security and eventually gets gets brought down. So then took that thought and then thought, what about if we were to make a comedy about a streaker? The streaker is the protagonist. And and so we'd started developing that. Um, and what would happen if you fell in love with someone who didn't approve of streaking? <laughs> yes, well, I, I think I can actually have a comment about that a bit later on as well, yeah. <laughs> There's a glorious line in the movie which says, you're the first girl I ever wanted to keep my clothes on for. Um, so I can attest that's actually kind of the way it happens. Like, not you, Doc, because like, you, you're still, a, I think, a streaker at heart. <laughs> <laughs> don't get started the fuff speeder now, Gordon, and we'll, and we'll circle back. So don't think we're off the hook completely. Just for the sake of Paul and Meg, we will circle back to that story that you started with. But, Paul, let's just go on. So, so you're thinking about... Obviously, the crowd gets behind the streaker. Yeah, so the streaker comes on, but the crowd is behind it. And 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 you look around the world, and it's a phenomenon. Uh, you see, um, I mean, I've I've probably watched about six hundred streaks on YouTube and all sorts. <laughs> of <laughs> and, and it's yeah, not a good time to come out. Well, well you know, Meg, I was just about to say, you know, so when you go through Paul's search history, yeah. you know, that married couple, it's it's different. It's under the cut of research. Oh, it's quite different. It's quite different. It's, you know, <laughs> but I think you know what I think is so fascinating about streakers is how they break all the rules. And I think we're also bound by rules that when someone rebels, there's something quite kind of carnivalesque or something quite, um, we get behind them because it's exciting when the rules get broken and we're all living, living by the rules. And sometimes when someone says, up yours to those rules, there's something quite riveting about it. So we wanted to explore the kind I guess the, 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 the last two years of, of rule-based society that we've lived in, you know, you know whether you agree, don't agree, it's, it's not the issue. I think most people kind of, you know, found themselves midstream 
uh, or mainstream at least, in the middle of it, and and they were bound by some sort of rule, whether it was a lockdown, a curfew, a mask, a vaccine, whatever the case is. So, Paul, yeah, I guess you're saying, and so then it was a breakout from that, you know, I guess a release. Exactly. So, so it was, you know, actually just want to watch a fun movie, which, which you know, isn't, isn't challenging, but has heart. Um, there is another layer to it, though, as well, which is in my research, in my 600 <laughs> streaking, <laughs> I discovered that actually for some people it's a profession. So um, you have sponsored streakers and, and, and typically they're online uh, casinos but it's putting the logos on your, on your torso and um, going to all sorts of events and, and the TV cameras now turn away, but um, it's not about TV cameras anymore. It's all about the, the online, the, you know, yes. what's on Instagram, what's on, what's being shared, et cetera. So um, that also became part of the story. And so, it's a phenomenon in Europe and the U S I think people are more um, prude and you can actually be arrested for public indecency, but there are um, British and Spanish um, Dutch streakers who actually do it for big companies who like to use kind of guerrilla style tactics in their marketing. So we kind of uh, made one character who's played by Sylvan Gacy actually using this kind of um, guerrilla style marketing. And Paul, of course, with his background in marketing in the script, we actually talked about different different ways of marketing and content yeah. marketing, guerrilla marketing. So that became a kind of fun sub theme in the film. Yeah, it's, it's an important theme. I mean, I think in the film you referred to it as renegade marketing, which I quite, quite enjoyed. It's not a term that we normally employ uh, in that space. But just just looping a little bit back to uh, Bloody Miracle back in, a, a, I think it was 2014, somewhere around about there. Um, and I know it went on and, and it was used as uh, to open the, the discussion at the Nobel Peace Laureate for Youth Summit. So it really was a good catalyst. And, and at that point in time, I actually used it. I was working with a group of young people and taking them through the entire narrative as well. And I used it for that, that very purpose. So it, it really was an extraordinary thing. And one or two of those young people were people who were not South Africans and had not been here at the time. And really, the way you captured that moment in time and, and, and really, uh, yeah, just a bloody miracle, uh, an extraordinary piece of work. But, yeah, I, I guess, you know, you know, Tess, quite a dark topic, uh, a sex worker who has got to kind of find herself. So there's a bit of comic relief, I suppose, for you as, from a creative point of view. Was that just a, a flow, as Paul was saying, or was there a conscious decision, uh, you know, in that regard? Can, can I tell the story about it? <laughs> so, so, so uh, yeah. So this is this is. I'm having this idea. I'm I'm now writing uh, a, a film script, and script is everything you know in terms of the film. It's the, the most important thing. It develops from what they call, um, you know, sort of an outline, then to a treatment, and then to a step outline, and then and then various drafts. And so I pitched this idea, um, and that were keen, um, but make make just lost her father. She also um, just just wasn't really in the the, the mental space for. for I'd broken my back as well. I'd fallen down a flight of stairs in the UK. I wasn't in a good space. I was bedridden. Yeah, yeah exactly. So so actually reached out to other writers because because Meg said, you know, I'm not comedy. I'm I'm not in a good space. So eventually, I said, could you just could you just edit this document for me? And um, okay. this was on Google Docs. And um, you get a notification when someone is on your documents. And what do I see? I see, Meg's on my God, what's she up to? So I go onto the document and 
Um, I see that she's making amendments. So I, I sort of write something in and she swipes it, she deletes it and then writes something far naughtier. And then we <laughs> just had this interaction on this Google document and I realized that my wife was far naughtier than, than I ever knew. <laughs> I had a lot of fun writing it. But yes, originally I wasn't going to write it, but it was Paul's no. idea, but we ended up co-writing it and co-producing it. And then I directed it. Um, and we were we were very lucky that um, MultiChoice absolutely loved the idea. And they actually requested to be an Afrikaans. But that's, sorry, that's maybe jumping ahead. Yeah. And so, Nick, just two questions, really. I mean, so I guess listening to you and, and, and you know, we have the benefit of, of seeing you on video. Obviously, for our listeners, it's only an audio. You're smiling and you smile fondly around that time when you went through. And, and I guess it was part of your healing process. The, the comedy relief where I guess you got in and you started editing and... So that, that's great. Yeah, that's great to hear from. from I found TV. a lot of joy, and I didn't really think I could do comedy. I didn't think it would be a strong suit, but I loved it so much. And in fact, I've just written another comedy on my own with some input from Paul called Pizza with Love or Pizza con Amore. And we literally have three British distribution companies who all want it. So having thought I couldn't do comedy, it seems now that that's actually something I love doing and will do a lot more in the future. Not to say that I won't ever do a serious film again. But I think yeah. you can do a lot. I think you can do a lot with comedy, and I think especially in these incredibly dark times, it's what people need is light relief. And I mean, we wrote Koch and shot it prior COVID, but um, now even more, I think we're gravitating towards wanting light affair because life itself is just so damn tough. And yeah. um, that's definitely a lot of people who've gone to see Koch have said, "Gosh, it's just what the doctor ordered. It's like a tonic." Life is just yeah. so so dark, and um, we 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 all craving craving funniness, craving levity. So in yeah. that sense, like the the release has been timely. And yet, and yet, okay. the film is about so much more. Sorry, Doc, go through. Oh no, Doc, Gordon, you You know, you've you've addressed so so many issues in that film. So it, yes, it is humorous, but I mean, there's the whole issue of body shaming, which is part of the the narrative there. And just the general interpersonal relationship side of it, it you know, and, and, and I kind of posed the question to myself and I posed to you, to what degree do you think maybe the title has done you a bit of a disservice, you know, and I was looking on IMDb about the history of South African movies and, and use of humor has, has often been there, so, but also the addressing of issues at any point in time. So if we go back to the 70s, I mean, you had... Uh, Captain Caprivi, and then in the 80s, Buti, open movers at Buti Khan border to, they were in inverted commas comedy, but they, they addressed serious issues. So I kind of went in there wondering if I was getting another Buti Khan border to, only to discover that it was indeed so much more. You, you know, how do you go about taking a concept as complex as this and, and, and narrowing it down into two words for a title? It seems to me like a really tough creative proposition. So difficult. I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe we did ourselves a disservice because I think some people have expected it to be pure slapstick. And there are elements of slapstick in Kaka Karo, but we did want it to also talk about real human connection and the importance of, um, yeah, authentic human connection over and above only social connection via social media. So we do problematize it. But we called it Kaka Karo because we thought it was strong and catchy. But you're right. Um, Kochat might might um, alienate some parts of an audience, some audience, but I think it does also speak to a younger kind of what we call stotchat or mischievous 
of an Afrikaans speaking home language audience. So I think it does make an impression and you do have to be brave with the title. So it's hard, it's hard to know. I guess one would have to do proper qualitative research <laughs> to find out whether it had in the ultimately been good or bad. But it is memorable. People definitely remember it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think, you know, so it's easy to be very conservative around the the, the title. And, you know, particularly I sus- suspect that older people may be, some older people may be put off by that. Mm. Um, a more but, kind of authentic audience, yeah. Yeah, but that, that wasn't our sort of core audience. I mean, it was definitely younger. I mean, we look at some of the Afrikaans um, uh, music videos that come out and, and the amount of traction that, that they get. I think there is an issue, and this was even before COVID, of uh, youngsters and youth going to cinema. Um, and I mean, it's it's not cinema that has that challenge. I mean, it's it's sports events, etc. You know, not relying on on legacy viewers or or spectators. So um, I think with COVID as well, we've got into habits habits of watching screens often in isolation, cocooning. Exactly, and and so we we're kind of releasing amidst a pandemic and and perhaps an accelerated um, sort of digital world where a trend that was happening is, is now happening even more so. It'll be very interesting to see where, where cinemas end up and also what is shown on cinemas. Is it a future of, sort of franchise movies and nothing else? Mm. Um, I think nobody knows at this stage. I think we're jumping ahead though from the question about the title. Um, it, look, the title was a bit of a gamble, and I think for some audiences it's really worked, and possibly for older, more authentic audiences it has been a bit alienating. You're listening to The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times, I, I guess, Megan, for you got to get that that initial hook, like with any piece of creative that you get enough people in. But also, you know, uh, Gordon, that's got you know the, the soundtrack by Jack Parrow. He's doing one of the. You know, you've got Skulky. You've got you've got some names who bring their audiences along anyway. You know, so I guess you've got multi layers. But then the, the other thing is the marketing, the narrative, the write up, where people can see that it's not just slapstick, where maybe the name lends itself to one thing, and we all us myself, or certainly I sometimes get swayed by one thing and then when you read a bit deeper you get light and shade and you start saying because a lot of those movies a lot of the comedy has a lesson within the comedy and although you start laughing sometimes you find yourself stop laughing on the surface halfway through a particular part of of a movie or play because you realize that it started off hooking you one way and has directed you through through acting narrative drama direction in another way so that's great that and again you know to listeners out there you know if if you're keen if you're interested go and see it because maybe and i haven't seen it so i do apologize up front but maybe there's a twist in the story it's not just you know what it seems like and and i've certainly seen the movie poster that it's more than just uh, than, than just that. Paul, uh, release-wise, is it is it on cinema now? Did you re- release it straight to the big screen and then, I guess, later on to, to a streaming service? Yeah, so, so generally how it works, it, it, it's, and, and obviously this is changing as well, so I know that films are being released straight to streaming now. Uh, so it's it's been on, it's the third week now in cinemas. So what happens with cinemas? Fourth week, it's fourth week starting today. It's fourth week starting today. So, so what happens with cinemas is that you, you, it's it's brutal. So, so if the film doesn't perform, it's off very quickly. So, so often you think, oh, I'm going to go and see that, and then suddenly it's gone. Yeah. So, um, 
made it to the fourth week and, and there's a big pileup of Hollywood blockbusters. So nothing's really of significance being released yeah. over the last couple of years. But then what happens is um, it goes from what they call theatricals to the cinemas, it then goes on to VOD. So this, in this case, it'll be uh, box office with um, DST, DSTV box office. And then yeah. it will be, then it will go on to, to um, movie magic and, and Showmax and, and Showmax. So, so it will have a long life. I mean, in five years' time, it will still be available to, to screen on, on probably Showmax. Yeah. So the cinemas are really not performing well at, the, at all. They're doing between 10 and 20% of pre-COVID numbers. Wow. And I think it's, yeah, it's hectic. And then, um, then Business Rescue. Um, and actually that shows on their site. Yeah. As soon yeah. As you- yeah. So the cinemas are really struggling and we were under a lot of pressure to release now. So it had already been postponed twice. But what's happened is there's a huge um, backlog of big movies like Bond that's just released. Yeah. And Fast and the Furious, and there's a whole, literally every weekend from now on, there's going to be a blockbuster released. So we couldn't really wait any longer. And according to our contracts, we couldn't go directly to streaming because we had a pre-COVID contract. And this yeah. movie was expected to do very well in the cinema. And I think in normal circumstances it would be, would have, because the feedback has been spectacular. We've had almost, almost all positive feedback from people who've seen it. Um, and and in reviews and things. Um, but the cinemas are doing absolutely terribly. And it's a mixture of three things, as I said. I think partly some people are COVID scared and are just too, too nervous to go into cinemas at all, even if they've been double vaccinated. And this is particularly an older audience, but also some young people, some friends of ours, we've been very surprised, um, haven't even been willing to go, even being double vaccinated. And there's also confusion around whether cinemas are open or closed because they've been shut down completely twice. So there's a lot of confusion. And cinemas, many of them are only open from a Thursday through to a Sunday. So, And they've had limited showings. So all those things are working. Again. Secondly, South Africans are South Africans are just plain broke. Yeah. Yeah. But people I think, just have 100 bucks to see the movies. And then thirdly, people have gravitated towards streaming. And so many yeah. people, have, we're dying to see the movie, but we're going to wait till December when it goes out on on. Um, on box office DSTV. I mean, we haven't made a big noise about that release because obviously we didn't want to um, cannibalize the cinema release. So, but it's expected to do really well on VOD because there's been so much noise around it and so many people are waiting to see it till then. So we really hope that that will be the case. And the fact that it has been on cinema gives it a kind of um, kudos, gives it a kind of... um, um, Birthing. Yeah, it's it's good for it because there's been a lot of noise around it and it's also done incredibly well on the international movie circuit so although the um the cinema numbers have been very low and very disappointing they're very very much in keeping with the overall pattern and very respectable within the overall pattern you know it's all relative um but we just really hope that when it does go into vod it'll have a whole new life and that is I think that model has to change. You know, Paul, you yeah. made the point of, you know, you've got a cinema. It's, it's, it's pre-COVID. This, you know, one, one can't look at cinemas and I've seen the business, I've seen the chaos and it's, a, it's, it's, it's been coming for a while. You know, I spent a very short amount of time in, in the cinema business. And certainly the, the big thing is the release window, you know, straight to a big screen release window of six, six weeks generally into, that's over. And I think it started with Mulan with, with Disney. They went straight to, 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 to DVD, uh, I want to say DVD shows you, uh, into streaming service. And that's, that's it. You know, again, this morning, you know, I was looking through 
just uh, some of the stats in terms of, of the of the Netflix, 200 million subscribers, and it just goes on and on and on. So I, I think, you know, unfortunately, I still have fond memories, as, as most of us do, of the heyday of cinema, you know, the waiting as a school kid for the big Bond release, the summer release. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes business models change and they come and go, you know, and, and uh, COVID has played a role, but... COVID wasn't there, wasn't the start of the syllabus problem. No, no definitely. It's been the death now. It's just been the death now, death now. Um, yeah. And um, unfortunately, we were locked into pre, pre-COVID yeah. contract. I mean, no, now no no independent films are going to go with the um, cinema funding. And in fact, speaking to the marketers at the cinemas themselves, they're saying that independent films are just doing nothing. They reckon that if the cinemas survive at all in South Africa, in a year or two's time, they're only going to be showing the big franchises, which I feel devastated about. But I'm so glad that Koch has had a cinema release. I think it does give it a kind of pedigree, uh, marketing-wise, but I think the, the landscape has shifted, and I don't know that people, I don't think people are ever going to go back to pre-COVID habits. I, do, I mean, I'd just like to say something some independence of cinema. Yeah. So so yeah. we, we had yes. various screenings around the country, and um, I think, you know, obviously feedback around the film, but one of the other things that came out mm-hmm. was the shared experience of watching something was something people had forgotten and embraced. So they came back, came out of that experience thinking that was great. You know, I haven't done this for, for nearly two years. Um, So, so I do think there is still something there. Uh, I think sometimes if you're watching uh, streaming and many households will have five screens and everybody's watching independently. So it's slightly empty sometimes. You know, watch something that was good, but, I'm not feeling anything afterwards. And you don't get the same immersive viewing experience. I don't know when I watch something, the kids come and interrupt the dog box. I get up to give a snack. Um, there's noise. I'm never immersed. And I must say, I, I personally, because I'm a huge cinema lover, obviously feel devastated about the prospect of movies only being for big franchises in the future. Um, I really, and but yeah, as Paul said, people were just said they loved the experience. And the thing is, once they come back to the movies once, Quite a few of my friends said, okay, we came to see Kochat, and um, now they've gone to see the Bond and they've gone to see other things because they've got over that initial fear. So, and that they just love that communal experience of watching something in the dark in cinema. So I think there is still, still a love for it, but I, I don't know that, I don't know that. Yeah. Like That's, it's a tough ask. And, but, and all those things you said certainly are, well, it's my experience. I thought, wow, here I am, you know, back in a movie. I mean, I grew up going to movies going to Bioscope. Oh, by the way, I've just been researching this. I've discovered that Bob Courtney would have turned 100 this month. So happy birthday, Bob Courtney. Because one of the earliest homemade movies I ever remember in South Africa was uh, Hansen Uroinek. And then they made a kind of a follow-up called Lord Uwe Piet. And they were also addressing the issue there of the English Afrikaans divide. So it kind of, it, I must say, I enjoyed this as a catalyst for going down memory lane. It's really opened up something. I, I'm going to probably do a blog on that as well, just, just for my own sheer entertainment. But two quick things because I'm conscious of time. You talked about funding. Um, how do you go about beginning the funding process on this? And secondly, uh, the movie itself deals with the issue of, of, of sponsorship and raising money or sponsorship. And yet the movie itself did not have a lot of product placement. So there are plenty of scenes of beer being consumed. There are plenty of scenes, uh, Meg, you mentioned pizza, or pizza being consumed. But those those are not sponsored. Um, or was that to protect the inverted commerce primary sponsor in the movie? 
Okay, so, so, so you answer the first part, I'll answer the second part. You answer about how to fund it. Okay, so so so, <laughs> so how films are funded generally in, in South Africa is you know you need a broadcaster on board, first of all. So um and typically they will be putting in money which is part license um and part equity. So you know, if the film does reach a profit, then you know they get their equity paid back. And then, you know, in our case, we did raise some money from, from companies. Um, so Red Alert, and this will be part of Meg's response, I'm sure, a security company, which is um, born in East London, but it, but it operates nationwide now. And Galitos, which is um, a fast food chicken um, franchise. Uh, and, and then also the Windmill and Cafe Neo, which is uh, um, the restaurants in, in East London. And then the final part of the jigsaw is really, um, well, sorry, there was one more, the Eastern Cape Development Corporation. So um, they put in a couple of million rand into the film, and but you know we had to really shoot into the in the Eastern Cape, and their their rationale is trying to build a film industry there um, because it creates a lot of jobs. So yeah, there's a massive film, multiplayer. Yeah. You look at yeah. the, 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 Beautiful scenery. It certainly, it certainly reminded me of, of the Eastern Cape and, and time to make a trip. That's uh, the Doc's home home turf. So you can see he's got a little tear in his eye there, a little tear running. Oh. Maybe you were going to just address the second part about the, I think, the yeah. primary, inverted commas, primary sponsor in the movie yeah, so itself. The, the, the final bit, sorry, just on the funding is the DTI. So the Department of Trade Industry have a film rebate system where, you know, you can get between 35 and, and even 50% of your budget, um, depending on how you go about it, actually funded by the DTI. So again, um, wanting to support the film industry for the simple reason that it creates jobs. Fantastic. And in answer to your question about product placement, there's actually a lot of product placement in Kahakaro. Some of it is sponsorship in kind. Um, it's just that we, I think product placement works when you make it very organic to the story. And so we wanted to use product placement as part of our modus operandi right from the beginning. But it works when it's part of the story. And that's why hopefully you don't notice it too much in Kochat. And when you do, it's kind of used quite ironically. Yes. So as Paul mentioned, um, Red Alert put some cash in. Um, they also own a guest house. So we kind of had a, a deal in, in kind with some. Okay. But you'll actually see in the movie, there's actually a lot of product placement, but it feels very organic to the story because Rita, Carl's love interest is actually a paramedic, so it's natural that she's driving around in, in um, that, and in, yeah, and during Red Alert. So there's actually a lot of product placement, but you don't necessarily notice it as that. But Red Alert is over the moon about the amount of product placement. I've no doubt. I know that certainly came through. Yeah. They've booked out several cinemas throughout the country, and um, they're taking all their staff to it. They've really leveraged it a lot in their own marketing, and it's also and then um, also Galitos. We actually approached a number of companies to have logos on Sivan Gacy's chest because he's this character who's doing um, product placement. He's doing speaking for money. And they were actually the only ones to go for it. So they get a lot of product they, placement. They, they certainly do, yeah. And they like got the best product placement deal of the century. But then apart from those which are noticeable, and then the windmill also put in a bit of money and you see some shots of the windmill. There's actually loads of other um, placement in kind. So we worked very hard going up to East London several times before we shot. And in this um, economy, not many people were able to afford to put money in, but there's lots of, and um, we got a lot of things um, for free in exchange for product placement. So you'll see Arena Riverside Resort, you'll see um, Scalp Wizard Note and Francois Jacobs wear the, wear the helmets with their 
um, was their resort on the yeah. East London Eye Hospital. So a lot of free locations um, done okay. in exchange. And it is beer. So Emerald Vale beer, which is a um, craft okay. beer. So I just didn't recognize the label. I tried desperately to identify it. <laughs> Try to not have it in your face because that's yeah. very awkward. But it actually is visible if you look, and it's. I think it's far more powerful when it's subliminal, and they were thrilled. Um, so Excellent. actually, there is quite a lot. But I think the trick to good product placement is making it so organic to the story that it's inoffensive. It's, well, it's subliminally on the viewer, and so that's what you really aim to do. There's actually there are quite a lot of other um, sponsors in in there, but I won't go through them all. Um, yeah. Yeah. Guys, I'm very aware of time, so Doc, I'm going to leave it to you for for the wrap. And I know you desperately wanting to to wear your Fuff speedo in the uh, in the car cut car or two. Um, so don't don't try to turn the thing around, now, Gordon. Don't come and don't get the first shot in early because you know how it's going to be. <laughs> Before we get into the end, as you know, it's going to end that way. Um, Paul, just, I mean, you know, Gordon, you and I spoke a while ago about bad product placement, you know, and, and a few bonds, I think not this one, this is a bit better, and he still has Heineken, but it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, they don't show the shot in, but, but I mean, the previous one, I was horrified at a blockbuster like that, where the, there's a scene on, on a train, and I think it's the, the character Vesperlin, and she says, oh, is that an, um, a Rolex? And he says, no, it's actually an Amiga. Now, I mean, you, you know, in a movie like that, if you don't know the watch at a glance, you're not that target audience. You know what I mean? They don't have to say, that's a Ford, that's an Aston Martin. You know what I mean? So, so I, and Gordon and I spoke about it, you know, about how badly Heineken and, and certainly Amiga in that particular series. This one I saw Bond a few weeks back, and it's, it's done, in my view, who am I to comment, but certainly as a marketer. A lot better. So well done on that. Sometimes you know it's subliminal, and you and you, you see it, and you kind of only afterwards maybe realize, or sometimes you know you recognize the brand, and hopefully it resonates with you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so Paul, Mick, thanks very much, uh, Gordon. Now, just before you go away, now let's talk about. It's all fine having a go at me pointing at Kenya with a speedo. Uh, it's fine. Let's go back to the start. Let's go back to Durban. You and your mates had one or two lemonades, and then you ran around the hotel naked. So if anyone's qualified to play Coral's father in the next two, <laughs> KK2 is Gordon. Now, why don't you tell everybody about that? Well, I'm very conscious that <laughs> that Zoom is threatening to take uh, our time away from us. But yes, nude scrum spills the street was the major back page story in the Sunday Tribune those days. And if you think you've outed me, you've missed out because my son outed me to my granddaughter the other day. I got a, gra- I got a phone call from my 13-year-old granddaughter saying, Grandpa, what's this? And I knew in that dark, deep moment that my son had outed me to my granddaughter. So I'm having to come to terms with my alter ego, um, you know, and, and my, my image as the responsible grandfather. But be that as a way, yeah, I know, look, I mean, it was a lot of fun in those days. I think everybody did. It was like a global phenomenon. It, you know, you say car had to break in the rules in those days. Those kind of were the rules. But we had a lot of fun in those days as students. I mean, I got gunned down by Kid Colt. I was dotted by Captain Devil. I got punched yeah. by Bo Brummel in the foot of Fahala. And I even got Lassula for horse by Dureta and SWAT. So if you're looking for a, a stuntman, I'm well-trained foot of Fahala stuntman and ready for more action. Um, 
in I just wanted to throw in is just with product placement because for your listeners, it's also really important that the companies who do product placement also um, do activations that link in. So, for example, Kachat wears Hoka shoes and Hoka did run like a whole competition. So, you can really, sorry to jump in right at the end. I know that's good. Let's do in association with the product placement. Emerald Vale Beer also did competitions. Lots of them also use the springboard for their own activations. So in the last remaining minute, guys, I'm just going to say to all our listeners, please go out there, support the movie. It is very enjoyable. And one or two moments, uh, I think you might even identify yourself in there if you were the class clown in some respect, uh, which to a degree I could really relate to that. Uh, brought back a few more poignant memories than I had perhaps uh, imagined. So to all the listeners, thanks for joining us. Uh, let's keep talking, Doc. Uh, we'll see you uh, next year on uh, what is would you, you don't call it a shoot? What do you call it on the for the remake? Is what we're going to see Doc on campus at the remake or the sequel? Or shoot? Uh, whatever. There, what, isn't there a groovy movie making term for on the shoot? Is there something bigger or more meaningful than on that? The set. On the, on the set. set. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you, Doc. I'll see you on the set. Bring your speed, Hello, guys. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Meg. And so that was another episode of the Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond. And hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.